everyone. Welcome to News and Brew Sports Biz, the video and podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new development impacting the business of college sports. I'm Katie Davis, the leader of the James Moore Collegiate Athletics team, and I'm excited to chat with our special guest today, Christy Dosh. Welcome, Christy, and happy July 1st. Hi, thanks for having me. Big day. Yes. <laughs> so, um, most of you probably know who Christy is, but for those who don't, Christy is a former attorney turned sports business analyst and is a freelance writer. And in addition to writing about college sports, she also writes about craft beer and many other things. But I really liked that, um, you know, two girls talking about sports and beer. Um, it's great to get together. Um, so I want to let's kick off and cheers. Um, what what brew are you having today, Christy? So this is actually my last one. I had a full six pack, get it turned good for the camera. And this is my last one. <laughs> Saved it for something special. This is a key lime shandy from Big Storm Brewing. I live in Florida on Amelia Island and Big Storm Brewing is based out of Tampa. So every time I'm down there for something, I run in an ABC liquor store and get myself more of it <laughs> because <laughs> it is so good. I first had it in a restaurant and just fell in love with it. And now I seek it out whenever possible. That sounds good. I haven't had it, but I'm going to have to check that out when I'm in Tampa, too. Um, so I'm having um, uh, from Gainesville, uh, Florida, Swamp Head Brewery. It's a blueberry Kolsch. So I'm breaking my IPA uh, trend and, and I'm actually drinking it out of a glass today because it's really pretty and um, just wanted to share that. But it's it's really good. Um, it's not too fruity. So I highly recommend it if you are at Swamp Head Brewery. Yeah, we've got a, a little fruit theme going on that we didn't even plan, <laughs> but yes. that's what's good for summer. Like I want all the fruity beers in the summer. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, well, cheers to NIL Day. Um, wanting to just, um, you know, set the stage real quick as far as, you know, we're dealing with some schools are following state law today. Others are creating their own policies um, now that the NCAA has come out with their policy allowing for name, image, and likeness for all college athletes. And, um, you know, as schools are rolling out their branding for NIL programs, it's been really interesting to watch. And of course, it's been happening for the last bit, although there have been a lot of announcements recently. Um, my favorite one I've seen so far is Oklahoma's. Um, I love that it's more of a value proposition for OU as opposed to just the list of rules and like what I consider an in-your-face ad for a third-party NIL provider. Um, and honestly, I think student-athletes could probably learn a lot just by visiting that page on branding and value proposition and all of that. But um, Christy, I don't know if you've had any thoughts or had a chance to look at any or um, what you've seen out there. I know you've got a list of uh, university policies that you're maintaining. Yeah, and I've been watching it for a little while now as schools have announced these partnerships with third-party companies or the ways in which they plan to educate student-athletes in-house because I've been really interested in that education component because I think that this is uh, sort of a, a brave new world, not just for student-athletes, but I talk to 20-somethings who aren't student-athletes all the time about blogging and social media and the issues that they run into, and there are some real, like, grown-up problems you run into when you start contracting with brands to put up content or appear somewhere, you know, and, and to be the face of something. And so I wanted to 
take a look at what everybody was doing from that educational perspective. And I've really loved seeing the schools that are partnering with their business school on campus or with an entrepreneurship center on campus. Um, I know UF was one of the first ones I heard from that said they were pulling in professors from their business program. I talked to St. Joe's pretty early on and they were talking about how uh, entrepreneurship is such a pillar of their university in general. And the AD is a former practicing attorney like me. And we had this whole conversation conversation a long time ago about how awesome it would be if every student athlete that wanted to could leave and graduate with an LLC of their own. And I thought that was just so cool because when I was in college, that wasn't on my radar at all uh, as something that was possible for me or even something that I wanted. And so I really love these schools that are reaching across campus and asking, you know, the business program, social media programs, entrepreneurship programs to participate and be part of this because sometimes quite frankly, uh, I've been on campuses where athletics and academics do nothing but butt heads. And this is such a good way to bring in different parts of the campus to work together. So that's what I've been most excited to see. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with that. And I'd say silo is a four letter word in higher education. And, and it's true because it's so hard to work across that. And it's going to be more important than now than ever, whether it's education, financial aid, I mean, there's a, a whole slew of things that you're going to really need to rely on your partners that are on campus. Um, and I mean, if you're if you're worried about budget, that's certainly the way you can do it is keep it in house. Um, so I, I highly recommend that. And, you know, we have fears about the education side, too, because there is so much going on. And. Um, you know, as CPAs, we understand all of the tax complexities, not just from the federal level, but also at the state level. And, um, you know, we we just want to make sure schools are have it on the radar because in the grand scheme of things, things like taxes or some of these other risks, no one cares about it. But it could be a pretty significant impact to a student athlete if something doesn't go well. So we just want to try to help universities at least keep it on their radar and so that they can prepare and protect their athletes. Um, and and I just I couldn't agree more. And I I have seen schools, too, that have been working with their business school and um, entrepreneurship programs. And I think that's excellent. Um, so highly recommend it for sure. Um, but when we talk about um, social media influencing, I know you you pretty much got your business started by branding and going out on social media when you'd left the law um, profession. And this was back, what, 10 years ago? And and I mean, so you were doing that 10 years ago and just imagine how far things have come in the last 10 years. So, I mean, I think it's great that you really know that niche and that's gonna be such an important, I mean, we've seen already online today how much people have been using the power of their social media accounts and followings to start um, taking advantage of these opportunities. And so could you talk a little bit more about what drives market pricing for social media type um, endorsements, influencing, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I've actually been looking all day at various platforms that have popped up for student athletes to be on where they can put up their prices for an Instagram post or an Instagram story or a tweet. And it's been really interesting because right now the pricing is all over the place. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting here for a little while to see 
what is the market? What will the market bear? Um, because it's not just about how many follower, followers you have. I was talking to a D2 compliance office today and we were talking about opportunities for one of their student athletes who has 3,000 Instagram followers. And that doesn't sound like a lot when we're hearing about you know folks like Olivia Dunn at LSU who's got millions of followers, mm -hmm. but there is still money to be made and still a lot of like free swag to get mm -hmm. at that 3,000 mark. In fact, one of my accounts, I unfortunately have multiple Instagram accounts, but on one of mine, I have a really niche sort of audience and I only have 1,500 followers. So that's not a huge following. And every single week, multiple times a week, I have brands reach out to me who want to send me free stuff, you know, shirts, sunglasses, all kinds of stuff that they want me to try out and post on my feed because that's how a lot of small businesses get the word out about their product. And so I think there's opportunity for student athletes, no matter how big their following is. And it starts from that free kind of product. And sometimes it even starts at like discounted product. They want you to buy their product at like a deep discount, mm -hmm. uh, which quite frankly, I advise people not to do, but it kind of starts with that free product and goes up from there. And I saw student athletes who had, you know, uh, Instagram and Twitter posts up there for $12. I also saw ones who had them up there for $200. <laughs> um, and I, I'm sure I haven't seen the full range of it yet, but a lot of it is going to depend on how engaged your audience is and how niche they are and whether that is a really specific demographic that a brand is going after. So I think we'll see prices settle out after a while. Um, and I, I think it can be anything from pre free product up into the thousands of dollars for those who really have a huge following. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's impressive. And and I have seen a lot of the, the posts today, you know, the um, Bo Nix with the sweet tea. And it's like, I wonder, you know, how did he get into that? How did he how is he getting paid for that? How much is it? Is it based on followers? Is it based on number of posts? And so what kind of goes into that general, like not looking at the volatility of today, but in general in the social media market? Yeah, so there's definitely a difference between, say, an in-feed post and a story, if we're talking about Instagram, for example, because a feed post, they're probably going to make you leave that up for a specified amount of time. Most of the influencer contracts I've seen, you have to keep that post up for anywhere from a month to six months um, in your feed. So they're going to get more mileage out of that. A story is only going to last 24 hours unless the brand also negotiates to have it put in a highlight. And so we do see lower prices for stories. But what's interesting is a lot of times I hear from brands that they get more engagement and drive more traffic with stories. <laughs> um, so it'd be interesting too, as student athletes work with brands and kind of figure out what about their following and about the way they create content is most valuable. Is it people who can do short videos? Is it people who are really good at styling products and photos? Is it people who are good, you know, when they're speaking and they're telling you about this product that they love and their stories are on a live or whatever. So it's going to look different for every student athlete out there. And I think that's going to take some time for people to sort of try out uh, the different types of content and see what do they enjoy doing? What do they have time to do? Because quite frankly, video pays the best. But when we're talking about being in season in your sport, do you have time to be creating video content all the time? I don't think you necessarily do. So this is going to be a little bit of a juggling act and a learning and an A-B testing sort of environment for student athletes for a while now. So how does an athlete know whether it's worth it to pursue an opportunity, uh, you know, whether it's 
is it worth their time? Are they going to get the ROI on it? Or can they even trust that they're going to get paid if it's like a newer company that's um, just starting up that may not have the financial stability to handle that? You know, being an attorney, I want to say there should always be a contract. But the truth is that with social media marketing, a lot of times there's not. It is back and forth happening in your DMs. And the folks who are on the other side aren't even maybe necessarily in a position to produce a contract. You know, when we're talking really small businesses, they might not have an attorney who's on retainer that they can just go to. You know, I would like to think that they have a contract they could use, but I know that it's not the case because I've had these conversations with brands. And so I would urge student athletes to uh, try and get some basic terms down obviously the payment how you submit your invoice how long you should expect it to take to get that payment uh, how long the post has to stay up if the brand has any rights to ask you for edits before it's posted or to uh, you know comment on it before it goes live because I, I saw an influencer just recently who was talking about the fact that she didn't limit in the contract how many edits the brand could have and she signed the deal thinking that it was worth it I think it was a hundred dollars for this Instagram post and she knew she could shoot the product pretty quickly and so a hundred dollars was worth it to her well then the brand I think had been through 12 rounds of revision with her. And so when you added up all that time and sort of angst, now the $100 was no longer worth it. <laughs> um, and so some of that's going to be trial and error. I mean, I, I've had that in my own life, even being an attorney and sort of knowing questions to ask and terms to have. Sometimes I think something sounds like a great opportunity. And then when I get into it, I don't like doing it, or it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. And now I know the next time somebody comes around for that, I either say no or my rate's a whole lot higher because I'm only willing to do it if I'm getting paid more. So that's going to happen to student athletes. It happens to, I think, everyone who has to price themselves for any kind of services. It happened when I started my PR agency and was trying to figure out pricing. Pricing is really difficult and student athletes are gonna have to just get into this to learn those lessons. Yeah, I mean, it's something that all businesses struggle with. Um, and, you know, we're just, throwing them into the deep end and saying, all right, start your business today with really nothing other than, you know, what you've got and yeah. just learn along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I think they're going to do fine. One thing that um, I've been curious about and we've been sort of watching and researching in our firm is when you're doing social media influencing, especially if it's tied to a brand that, has multiple locations across state lines that wants you to make appearances, or even if um, you're you're doing different posts and influencing when you're on the road um, or something like that. And um, seeing that states are getting more and more aggressive with some of their tax rules and things are changing there. And what it, what do you see on your side of it as actually? operating in that space and seeing other people operate in that space as it relates to states coming after um, what they think is theirs from a tax perspective? I haven't seen too much in the terms of like uh, horrible stories that I can tell, but uh, even just working with sort of my business and my agency, I've had to register to do businesses, I think in a half dozen different states now for various reasons. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, numbers and taxes, not as much my thing, the legal side is, and I like analyzing the numbers, but you know, taxes make my brain shut down. And so I, you know, about probably a year and a half ago, 
hired an outside firm to help me and to make sure that all that paperwork gets filed. Like I know how to organize a business in other states because I've done that as an attorney. But then when it starts getting into where you have to pay taxes, like for example, I had an intern working with me and it turned out not only did I need to pay state taxes on her, but she lived in a township that had its own special tax. Um, and I didn't realize that I had to register for that and pay that as well. So, you know, I, I don't think a lot of student athletes will be hiring employees and interns and run into that, but maybe they will. I mean, I've seen a lot of student athletes today and in the weeks leading up to this who have formed businesses. They have been working with people to, uh, you know, make apps and create platforms to help other student athletes monetize their name, image, and likeness. And they're coming up with apparel lines. Some of them are going to have employees yeah. and, you know, independent contractors they're going to have to pay. And all I can say is, you know, hire other people to do that. Don't try to do it yourself because the time you're going to spend on it could be better spent doing something that's in your wheelhouse. Uh, so I wish I had hired people for that kind of thing earlier. And just to have your books in order, essentially, I learned that from watching shows like Shark Tank and The Prophet. I love those kind of shows. And it was always, you know, know your numbers. And uh, I wasn't great at that in the beginning. And I finally hired a bookkeeper and um, an accountant that keep me in shape. And so when opportunities rolled around last year for things like PPP and SBA loans, it was super easy to pull my numbers and get approved for that stuff. If those things had come up three, four years ago, my stuff would have been a mess and I probably wouldn't have gotten any of that money. So uh, I'm glad I finally got my stuff in order, but I wish I had done it sooner. Yeah, and I mean, I think you don't know what you don't know. And so with some of the education, like, I mean, I couldn't imagine standing in front of a group of college athletes and trying to teach them taxes. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't do it. Um, what you want to talk about is, hey, you have to pay taxes and, oh, you're an independent contractor. You don't have someone putting your taxes in for you. And, oh, if you're from this state and you live, but you're attending school in this state and doing your work in this state, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts that just to be aware of and ask questions. And, you know, the trainers and the assistant coaches and the people that are working with these athletes every day might need to be aware of those things too. So yeah. when they hear it, they can say, hey, maybe you need to go talk to XYZ that's you know, in the college of business or compliance can point you in the right direction or whatever. But um, I mean, I think there's so many like grown up adulty things like that, that they haven't been faced with. And, and I, I, um, you know, I want them to be successful. I don't want something bad to happen because unfortunately a brand will be tied to an athlete when they make a negative headline. Um, yeah. You know, the school's not going to be able to Dis, disengage from that necessarily. And so, and and I mean, I know it can be done. There's college students forever who have worked part-time jobs and done different things and they manage to get by and know how to do it while they go to school. So, I mean, I, I know it can be done and I'm not concerned at all about that as long as they just know, right? And so- well I would just say, you know, it's not a reason to not have NIL. Like I saw some discussions on Twitter where people were like, but taxes is like a reason to not, you know, have student athletes be able to monetize their name, image, likeness. That is not what I'm saying. However, I can tell you that when I was in my mid twenties, after I left, oh, I guess I was in my late twenties by then, after I left practicing law and I was in the media, 
the first year that I really made significant income as a media member, most of it was as an independent contractor. And let me just tell you the heart attack I had when my tax bill came that year. Um, it's more than you think it is. So for student athletes who are gonna make significant money with their name, image, and likeness, you gotta be putting that money aside and you need to have a good idea of just how much of that uh, you're going to have to pay to Uncle Sam because even being an adult and an attorney and feeling like I was like fairly uh, savvy, I was shocked how much money I owed at the end of the year. So uh, again, it's going to be one of those lessons that some student athletes are going to learn the hard way, but you know, a lot of us learned it the hard way. So, right. Yeah. Um, well, so some, some student athletes who've gotten a head start are those that are in the NAIA and one in particular, one of the first ones, um, and I've, her name slips my mind right now, but she, had a she said yes on TikTok, <laughs> Chloe Mitchell, and she um, has then also started her own company to help facilitate some of these um, deals. And so, what is it that you have seen in that market? And you know, with stories like hers and others, and um, you know, why? I guess what is it that they're accomplishing, and what could the NCAA athletes maybe learn from what you've seen so far? I just told my husband this morning, like one of the things that I have enjoyed seeing the most has been student athletes who have used this as an opportunity to not only create their own company, but to create a company that benefits other student athletes. I just think that's the coolest thing. And Chloe Mitchell was really the first example I knew about uh, forming her company Playbooked to work with NAIA athletes. And then now they also have NCAA athletes coming on board on that platform. And then today I really spent a lot of time digging in on Dreamfield. I hope I'm not screwing that up. I'm pretty sure that's what it was called, but it, it is the quarterback from FSU and the quarterback from Miami who partnered together to build this, which I think is even cooler because that's not necessarily two schools who get along. Um, you know, those are kind of rival schools in the state of Florida. And these two guys are, you know, should be rival quarterbacks. And they formed this company together. Um, Chloe's company is a little more focused, I would say, on social media marketing. All of the deals I've seen from that platform and reported on have been for social media marketing. Um, the platform that these two quarterbacks formed is a lot more broad and focuses more on autograph signings and meet and greets and coaching clinics and one-on-one -on -one lessons. It, it focuses on more in-person activities and it gives you hourly rates for the student athletes. So I, I'm in the middle of a piece that I will probably publish after we get done with this, where I was kind of listing out some, some different rates I saw on different websites to get a feel for like, where is the market right now? But I think that that's so cool that we have student athletes that have been putting time and money into this ahead of time to build these platforms that will benefit other student athletes as well. I just think that's the coolest thing. I agree. I, I think it's really good too. And it's in some ways, maybe it's been beneficial for the NAIA to go first and the NCAA to take a while to come around to this. Um, but what do you think is the reason why it was so much easier for the NAIA to, you know, get ahead of this and what took the, I mean, we know what took the NCAA so long, but I guess what's the difference and why was it so easy for the NAIA to get ahead of it? 
Okay, so this is an easy question for me only because I had the NAIA president on my podcast and I asked him why it was easier. <laughs> and, and his short answer was that their rule book is like this big and that the NCAA's rule book is, you know, this big and that, you know, it's just easier for them to pass rules. They have uh, less experience or, or, or less instances of infractions. I said, you know, do you guys even really have like infractions cases? Does that happen? Um, and it sounds like they're few and far between, you know, they haven't had to deal with a lot of the same issues the NCAA has with regards to, um, you know, boosters or with other, you know, payments that, that don't meet NCAA rules. Um, they haven't had that at the NAIA level. And so when they started talking about this, it was pretty easy and quick to put it into action because they envisioned fewer scenarios where it was going to be an issue. Um, you know, the NCAA was not only thinking about issues it's had in the past with people who have broken rules and the ways in which uh, outsiders have tried to influence college athletics. But on top of that, they've been in a lot of really high profile lawsuits over the last decade. I've been covering college sports for 10 or 11 years now, and there have been some massive court cases in those 10 to 11 years. And those have shaped the NCAA I think hesitancy to create new policy because it's like every rule they put out there is opening the door for lawsuits to attack that rule. Yeah. And so I'm not defending the NCAA, but from a lawyer, like with my lawyer hat on, you know, putting myself in their position, it is really hard. You know, like the, the safest thing for them to do would be to just open it wide open and say student athletes can do whatever they want because then they can't get sued. But they feel like their model doesn't work if there aren't guardrails as they were continually putting them. And I get some of the guardrails, you know, saying that student athletes shouldn't promote, you know, certain categories like, uh, you know, alcohol and adult entertainment and whatever, you know, I get why they want to have those kind of guardrails. And now they're sort of putting that on the schools. Um, but I, I understand their hesitancy to pass rules on the one hand. On the other hand, it's really frustrating to see how long this has taken. And now essentially what they decide to do is push it off on the schools, which is a little unfair. The number of compliance people I have heard from in the last 24 hours, and not just at big power five schools, but uh, FCS schools, division two schools, who tell me how unprepared they are and how understaffed they are to be managing this at the institutional level when they thought the NCAA was going to manage it with a third-party administrator. Um, th this has not at all worked out the way the schools thought it was going to work out. So I'm really feeling feeling for my friends in compliance today. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, and I mean, it was even, even before the floodgates opened, but now some of these schools that are even in states that the laws were going to pass in six months from now, you know, they're having to hurry up. And then especially when you consider those states that hadn't even started developing law, um, I mean, then that just makes it even harder. And it's those states that have schools that have fewer resources too, it seems like. So um, yeah, I don't know how they're going to get it all done. I don't um, either. <laughs> I yeah. do not envy them. <laughs> no, I don't either. Um, well, so what are some other potential unintended consequences that you think are important for so our listeners are generally, um, you know, the financial people within college athletics that bend the ear of people in compliance or in student athlete development um, to, you know, really just share their perspective in all of this um, because they've kind of been sitting on the outside, maybe working with some of the deals with, you know, procurement on getting their contracts um, with the partnerships they have, but 
not really in the nitty gritty of NIL. So what would be helpful for them to know as far as any other potential unintended consequences that they can look at from their financial and more analytical view maybe than some others that are their peers in leadership that may have different skill sets and looking at things a different way? Yeah, I would say the two sort of things I hear coming up over and over. One we've already talked about a little bit um, in terms of what this is going to look like in practice as far as having contracts or not having contracts and mm -hmm. terms. And, you know, I think students, some student athletes are going to end up in deals that don't go well for them or don't go the way they thought they were. And maybe they're going to go complain to somebody in athletics because they just, you know, need somebody to vent to, or maybe they are looking for advice on how to keep this from happening in the future. Their photo was used in a way you know, they didn't realize it was going to be used or like the woman that I brought up who was doing 12 rounds of edits, you know, things are going to happen. Um, and so they're going to go to people in the athletic department. They're going to go to each other for advice, first of all, and then they're going to be talking to coaches and maybe some folks in compliance and that kind of stuff. And so it, it's, providing them those opportunities for education you know some of it they are just going to have to learn the hard way but providing them as many opportunities as possible to learn about the types of questions to ask and the the types of terms to look for and and how that should all work out but athletic departments are also really hesitant to give advice because they're opening themselves up to liability if they give advice so it's going to be this really delicate balance because everyone i know who works in college athletics does it because they love college athletics they love student athletes mm -hmm. um you know it, it doesn't pay well it has terrible hours like the only reason to work in college athletics is because you love it and i say this as somebody who has a sister-in-law who works in a division two conference my brother-in-law works in strength and conditioning in division one most of his career you know i'm related to these people and i have friends who work in these athletic departments and they do it because they love college athletics and they love working with student athletes and it's going to be really hard to distance themselves from this and yep. to not give advice that you know puts them in a dicey situation so i've heard a lot of conversations about that and then the other although it's not on the financial and business side this is a little more on maybe the mental health side i don't think this has been talked about nearly enough um, i was having lunch recently with a friend who's another sports media member and she does a lot of speaking in college athletic departments her name's rachel barbeau and she does a lot on mental health and we were having lunch and we were talking about comparisonitis and how um that can really weigh on you on social media on a, on a daily basis forget money being involved like just being more active on social media and spending more time on social media can have a toll on your mental health because you're comparing yourself to other people you're trying to figure out why they're getting more deals than you or you know why they're getting paid more than you are um you know how they can create better content why do they have better skills like you know i mean it happens to me all the time and she was saying the same thing and we were talking about that mental health toll of spending more time on social media and opening yourself up to more criticism from outsiders that you don't know because we all know that social media does that as well and then we talked about how that will maybe bleed into locker rooms and i was looking today and there were several teammates from one team that were all on a specific platform and they all had different social media prices and i thought i wonder as this goes forward if the few who are like on the lower end will look at the other profiles and realize these other guys are charging more and so they'll bump theirs up too 
too, because, you know, they think they should be getting the same rates the other guys are. And then how is that whole atmosphere going to bleed into the locker room, not only with each other, um, like I had Taj Boyd on my podcast over a year ago, and he talked about how guys would come to him in the locker room and want more carries. And there was no money on the line. You know, now when the more TV time you get, like, you know, the bigger your personal brand can be, you're really going to be fighting for that. And not only are you going to be fighting for it with your quarterback and your other teammates, you're probably going to be complaining to your coaches too. So I know a lot of coaches are getting nervous about how this is going to change that player coach relationship. So um, that's kind of the other bucket of things I hear coming up a lot is sort of that mental health and, um, you know, atmosphere sort of issues and, and it's going to happen, but mm-hmm. it'll, it'll all settle out. I think this first year is going to be insane. Year two will probably still be nutty, by like year three, I think everything will have evened out and we will have all figured out how to live in this new world. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so too. And and mental health has always been, I think, a an important thing for student athletes because they've always been in the spotlight. And so now they're equating their worth based on what they're getting. And I mean, it's, it's got to be hard. Um, so I know universities have those resources, so definitely would advise tapping into those. Um, and then as far as the, you know, not giving advice, like what do you, what would you suggest to somebody who they come to and they say, hey, what am I supposed to do? I just realized I got these 1099s and I have to pay taxes or whatever. Like what should they say? I think it depends on what resources they have available. Like I think in some of the athletic departments that have signed the bigger packages with these outside third-party companies, there are resources on those platforms for you, uh, whether it is educational resources and like videos you can watch to learn things, or it's connecting you with other partners of theirs who do various things. So I think a lot of it's going to be pointing people towards those third-party resources. But when you get outside, I just had this conversation earlier today with somebody in college athletics. When you get outside of the power five and just into the group of five, you get into FCS, you get into division two, the resources start doing this as you go further down. And so they don't necessarily have that big third-party partner, or if they partnered with them, they bought their lowest package and it only gets them access to certain things on the platform. And so they're going to have to figure out how to have that stuff internally. And unfortunately, I think if it's a legal or a financial question, I think you have to remind student athletes that they now have the right to have their own representation and that they should have their own representation. But it's going to be tough because I've talked to agents and attorneys and they're only going to want to work with people at a certain level because it's just not going to make sense to them at some of the lower levels. Um, You know, hourly fee for an attorney can be really high, especially somebody that has experience in this space. And so I do fear that there's a lot of people uh, sort of that'll be stuck in the middle and even kind of at the bottom who aren't big enough to have, you know, an agent or to be hiring an attorney, but their school is so small that they also don't have those third party resources who are just like going to be stuck. And I don't know where they're going to get the feedback, hopefully somewhere on campus, um, or they're pointed to some sort of third party. But quite frankly, that's been something I've been trying to figure out. Like, I want to help those people. And I've been trying to figure out, like, is there something for me in that space where I can help those people in that position because that's who I'm worried about. Um, and I haven't figured it out. So I have no sales pitch to make, but like in my brain for a year now, I've been trying to think, what can you do for that group of people? And I don't know the answer yet. I, I'm in the exact same spot because the last thing I want to do is be one of those people that's 
you know, in the business of profiting off of student athletes. Like that's, that's not what I, that's not what we do. What we do is work alongside universities to help them best navigate their resources, make sure their resources are taken care of well and that they're responsible with them. And then, you know, how do they move forward and use some of that financial data to make good decisions and, and drive change. And, and this is huge change and they should be part of the driving, but they can't really, it's, it's hard. And, um, you know, I, my fear is that, you know, we run, we've been running a lot of scenarios saying, okay, student athlete that is from Florida, we try to keep it simple by saying they're from Florida, they're going to school in Florida, they make $25,000. Assuming they have no other expenses, what do they end up with at the, at once you take into account taxes? And then, okay, now they're in a, in Georgia or Mississippi or California. And what does that look like? Um, just taking into account taxes. And that's just $25,000. And then we know, okay, we're, we're a reputable accounting firm. We know what our minimum fee is for a 1040. It would be more complicated once you add state returns. That's going to take a big chunk out of that cash that they had. And then, oh, what if that $25,000 no longer makes them eligible for a Pell Grant? So now they're having to pay for some of their school potentially. And I mean, it's just it kind of like... Um, you know, worries me that they're just going to be caught by surprise. And I had this conversation um, with uh, Tim Duncan, who's the AD at New Orleans. And and his big thing is, you know, are students going to feel like they got screwed over because they went from having free money to now having to earn their money? Yeah. And, and um, you know, they're not going to know what to do with it. I, you know, in, in the Gainesville community, there's um, the United Way has a VITA program where college students do tax returns for low income individuals. And I kind of think maybe something like that, or maybe there are people in um, the College of Business, um, and that can be a good resource on campuses to send people to because they're not going to be able to necessarily afford um, a higher level, you know, CPA. And they don't necessarily want to send them down to, you know, an H&R Block or TurboTax.com because they may not be taken care of the way they need to be taken care of. So it's it's yeah. going to be a real challenge. And I'm with you just trying to figure out how can we help um, and still trying to wrap my head around that, too. I feel the same way from the legal perspective. Like, I know advice that I would give in terms of the things you need to make sure you work through with a brand before you agree to do something, even if you don't have like a formal contract, at least the emails back and forth or the DMs back and forth, the questions that you should ask, you know, the problem is, and I've thought about like, you know, do I form some sort of like group that I can invite student athletes to and for free, like I'm not looking to get paid. I just want to help. But then I have to think about like, what does my law license allow me to do? And like, how far can I push the envelope on that uh, before I get in trouble with my state bar? And, you know, now you've got NCAA and state rules and school rules that say attorneys who work with student athletes have to be licensed in the state. Well, I'm licensed in Georgia, but I live in Florida and I want to help student athletes everywhere um and so it's figuring out like legally how can i even help student athletes um so i i'm in that same boat i think there's a lot of us who want to find ways to help and are just trying to figure out where we fit in the framework yeah yeah i agree well i know you've been very active today having a lot of interviews but um i'm sure you've seen some things that have been happening today with it being july 1st so what is it that has been most um, exciting to you that you've seen happen today? Um, 
and just, you know, talking a little more about that. I think it's probably the number of deals we've seen today. I mean, it's been impossible to keep up with. I have tried, but it has been impossible. We saw a lot get announced at midnight, and then there was like another slew around nine o'clock this morning, and then they've trickled in now throughout the day. You know, I think it's exciting how many opportunities there are out there. Much like I expected, it's a lot of social media-based opportunities, but that's great because there's no like barrier to entry. Any student athlete can be on social media and build a brand that way, which I love. And we've seen it be, I mean, the one I've seen have been pretty equal, you know, men versus women. So we're not seeing any sort of like gender preference there. And although some of the deals that came out first thing were the biggest athletes um, in football, in men's basketball, but we also saw the Cavender twins who are female basketball players, Olivia Dunn, who is a gymnast at LSU. We saw her, she was in New York live streaming this morning, a billboard that was going up with her on it. Um, so we're seeing it cross different sports. And I think we're going to continue to see that. And so um, it's funny because I got asked in a couple of media interviews last week if I thought July 1st would really be a big day. Like, did I really think there would be deals announced on the first day? And um, it was hard not to laugh because I thought, of course, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot announced on the very first day. And there has been. And I think we'll start to see some bigger deals coming in over the next month or so, because I know some of the biggest uh, student athletes in terms of their following and sort of their name recognition do have agents and those agents are meeting with big brands over the next couple of weeks because they were hesitant to meet before the NCAA had a final rule or an interim rule in this case in place. So we're going to continue. It's not like it all happened today and now it's going to fizzle out. There were a lot today, but there's going to continue to be a lot. Yeah, I think um, I was surprised with the number and in a good way, surprised with the number of things that happened today, because I was thinking I've seen a lot of state rules and even, you know, school policies that, oh, you have to disclose the deal seven days in advance and you can do it through this app. And and it's like, OK, well, so did they disclose it seven days ago? Or are they just. Turning, you know, the yeah, other way. Everything was done exactly by the letter of the rules. Uh, I actually had a brand who was pitching me some stuff last night, and I emailed back the brand and I said, you know, I would send this to anybody and say, like, say it this way because that makes it pretty clear to me that you're not abiding by the rules. So I'm not going to write about it, and I would be careful how you word this, and maybe like wait till tomorrow before you send this out to more people. Um, and I think the general feeling is just that the NCAA has had such bad PR lately that surely they wouldn't go after anybody on day one for this kind of stuff when there was so much uncertainty around it. But brands and student athletes got a little uh, overly excited and I think did a lot of uh, pre-work <laughs> that oh, sure. uh, maybe crossed some lines. But I don't anticipate that there's going to be any uh, penalties for any of that. I haven't seen anything that was so egregious that I think anyone will get in trouble for what they've done. Uh, but when you're announcing deals at 12.01 and you, uh, you know, there's an argument and I saw uh, Darren Heitner, who's an attorney that I know from you going to UF together. Uh, I saw him saying, well, you know, hypothetical conversations were allowed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and even I think he argued that negotiation wasn't prohibited. It was just signing the deal that wasn't. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of gray area there, but I don't expect that anybody's going to be getting into any trouble for the stuff that came out uh, even previous today. I mean, I got several deals in my inbox a week ago, two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the quickest way the NCAA and institutions can erode trust is by, you know, hammering down on people on day one. But I've 
I've loved watching it. I've loved seeing the athletes that have their own logos and partnerships. Like you talked about the Miami and Florida state quarterbacks. I mean, it's been a lot of fun to watch today. Yeah, it really has been. Well, Christy, thank you so much. Um, can you tell the listeners where they can go to get additional resources on NIL and other sports business content? Yeah, my poor website has been taken over by NIL. I used to write about other things, but <laughs> and I'll go back to it. But for now, there's a lot of NIL resources. It's businessofcollegesports.com. I also have the Business of College Sports podcast. I had an episode that came out today that's all about NFTs. For so, so for those of you like me who know very little about NFTs, if you want to learn how that's going to start coming into the college space now, that's what today's podcast was all about. I learned a lot, <laughs> which is why I agreed to have this guest on my podcast. Um, and then I'm tweeting out, you know, all sorts of deals that I see and things I see coming from schools and state laws and all that kind of stuff on Twitter at sports biz miss. Well, thank you so much, Christy, and um, make sure you follow her. She's got a lot of great stuff out there and, and I learn a lot from you and like you, I'm very intrigued by NFTs too. So maybe we'll have another conversation about that sometime. Yes. Um, <laughs> thanks so much well, for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news, and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving. 